Have you ever noticed how many words there are in the English language that are related to the word anger? Roger's thesaurus, I looked it up, had a long list of words. Here are some of their top synonyms. Acrimony, animosity, annoyance, antagonism, displeasure, enmity, exasperation, fury, hatred, impatience, indignation, ire, outrage, passion, rage, resentment, temper, and violence. That was just the top level. Then they go down to the second level of synonyms. I won't read all of them, but here are just a few. Chagrin, conniption, gall, huff, infuriation, myth, tantrum, tiff, and vexation. There are a lot of words that we have that describe anger. Not only are there a lot of words, but there are also a lot of expressions that we use that express, that describe anger. Any of these sound familiar? Ticked off. Bent out of shape. Blow up. Blow a fuse. Blow a gasket. Blow your top. Have a bone to pick. Blue in the face. Fit to be tied. Fly off the handle. Go ballistic. Go berserk. Go through the roof. Jump down, jump down someone's throat. Ruffled feathers. Hopping mad. Get in someone's hair. Get on someone's nerves. Get someone's goat. I always like that one. Hot under the collar. Make your blood boil. Bite someone's head off. Drive up the wall. Hissy fit. Slow burn. Road rage. And give someone the cold shoulder. You guys probably have some more, right? In your heads, you're thinking of some different expressions. What does that tell us about anger? All of these words, all of these expressions, what does that tell us about anger? I think it tells us that we think and talk a lot about anger, don't we? It is a fixture of human life. And specifically, anger is a universal problem. It is in every culture and in every nation because anger is in every single person. Everybody gets angry. When we hear that, we might naturally think of the huge outbursts, yelling, screaming, getting physically violent with somebody. And we should. However, anger manifests itself in other ways too, doesn't it? We might glare at somebody, burn inside, or pout. Or perhaps we have this sort of ongoing, underlying irritability that we're just always getting annoyed at something. Or perhaps we bottle all this stuff up and outwardly will look great, but then, boom, it finally erupts. And it's not pretty. 
And as we all know, anger is so destructive. Thinking back this past week, some of the worst moments of my life, you know the ones that you would like to do over again? You'd put down good money to do over again? We're done when I was angry. So surely because of its prevalence and importance, anger is discussed a lot in Scripture. According to Lou Priolo, who wrote the book The Heart of Anger, of all of the emotions that are described in the Bible, anger is described far more than any other. He says there are over 500 occurrences of terms and ideas associated with anger. Scripture repeatedly speaks about anger in the stories that it tells and in its teaching. Today, we're going to cover anger and how Scripture gives us hope to deal with it. By way of reminder, we're in the midst of a series called Jesus is Greater, Finding Hope in Life's Struggles. We're going to, as we said, talk about topics like doubts and guilt and forgiveness, depression, grief, and so on. Things that we struggle with in various ways. We're going to cover them one by one, topic by topic. And so this morning, we're going to look at the topic of anger. It's going to be a tough message. Let me just be up front with you. You might get kind of walloped a little bit here today. But share the fun. I've been walloped all week. So, it is a hard message because it is a truth that God's people need to hear and is a truth that oftentimes we don't understand correctly or take seriously enough. So, I hope we will listen with close and attentive hearts and minds today. So, let's start off with the basic question. What is anger? We've got all these words and all these expressions that talk about it. What exactly is it? We need to know what we're talking about, specifically since anger is often very misunderstood. To help us, I want to use a definition that Robert Jones uses in his book called Uprooting Anger. Let me give this definition to you. It's an excellent definition. He says, our, this is what anger is. Our whole person to active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Let me say that again. It's a lot there. Our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. He kind of captures it right there in one sentence, what anger is. Good, clear thinking. Let me unpack this. So to start, anger is our whole person to active response. Our anger is whole person. It involves your body and your spirit. And though anger is usually called an emotion, friends, it isn't just your emotions, but it is your thoughts, it is your will, it affects all of you. It is also, as he says there, an active response. Get this, anger isn't something just inside of you. As if it's some sort of inanimate object. People will say sometimes, my anger got the best of me. As if it's like some little pocket of fluid or something in your body. No. As he says, anger is something we do, not something we have. Did you get that? It's something we do, not something we have. So it's an active response that we have. 
Going to the second part of the definition, he says, anger is a negative moral judgment against perceived evil. It's a negative moral judgment. You're not pleased about something, right? When you're angry. No one says that they're both angry and praise something at the same time. If someone is slandering you, you don't get angry about that and then praise them at the same time, right? There's something that requires a negative response from you, a negative moral judgment. That isn't right. And it's also against a perceived evil. There's some type of wrong, some type of injustice that you perceive as evil. And notice I say perceive because sometimes two people could see or go through the same thing. One of them sees it as evil and the other person doesn't for whatever reason, right? So again, in general, our anger is our whole personed active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. But we need to go a little bit further. Because I want to make a very important distinction. The distinction between righteous anger and un, or excuse me, sinful anger. And yes, there is a distinction. Righteous anger by itself is not wrong. Righteous anger is displayed by God Himself. Indeed, when you look in the Bible with the number of occurrences where the word anger appears, most of the time it is associated with God. So righteous anger is not wrong. Jones writes, God's anger is His perfect, pure, settled opposition to evil. So Scripture refers to God's anger quite a bit. And it does so because of humanity's ongoing sinfulness and evil. God maintains a sort of ongoing anger toward our rebellion. Listen to this verse. Psalm 7:11 says, "God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day." God feels indignation every day because of what he sees here on planet Earth. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. I want you to see another passage that elaborates a little bit more on God's anger. I'm going through this just so we can see what we're talking about when we speak of anger. Romans chapter 1. Just real quick here. This is Paul's letter to the church of Rome. In this great opening passage, he talks about humanity's rebellion and opposition toward God. And he says in verse 18 of chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God is shown to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what Paul is saying there is that God has manifested Himself through creation, but because, as we just talked about, this glorious creation that God has made, He has revealed Himself through this, but because of our sinful nature, we suppress that knowledge. We don't want to acknowledge that in our own sinful nature. 
And God is angry about that. Paul goes on to write about how God exercises his anger by giving people over to idolatry and various sinful practices. He exercises anger by just giving us over to these things. We also read in Scripture how God is angry not just with lost, rebellious humanity, but with his own people. For example, in Deuteronomy 32, 30, 21, the Lord says of Israel, they have provoked me to anger with their idols. They were supposed to be God's covenant people worshiping Him. They were going around chasing idols. It angered God. King Solomon, he pursued idolatry even though he had been given all of this wisdom and grandeur by God. The Lord was angry with him. It says in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9-10, to 10, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. So do you guys see that God displays righteous anger? That's part of who God is. And that might be kind of a a calibration that we need in case our view of God is just a view of Him like Santa Claus, right? Right? That he's just up there saying, ho, 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 and what can I give you? And I'm here to make your life just happy and blessed about every little thing. Yes, God is here to bless us. Yes, God is great and generous. But he is not up there just saying, ho, 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 I don't care what you do with your life. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I'm thankful for a God who cares about evil in the world and one day is going to write all of this stuff and even now sometimes executes his justice. I don't want a God who just sweeps it under the rug or turns a blind eye. What about Jesus? Jesus is fully God, the Bible teaches, and also became man. So it's important to see how he conducts himself, right? Isn't that kind of important? So we read in, in the Gospel several occasions where Jesus has righteous anger. In Mark 3, the religious leaders wanted to accuse Jesus of healing on the Sabbath. Jesus was not breaking any Old Testament law, but all of these old or man-made traditions, they had added to the law. And they were more concerned about their traditions than helping someone in need. And it says in Mark 3, 5, that Jesus looked around at them with anger. And then he healed the man. Isn't that noteworthy? that Jesus became angry, and then he immediately heals the man. So his anger had no sort of you know, backlash against his ability to heal. He wasn't doing anything wrong by being angry, righteously angry at their hard-heartedness. Do you see that? In John chapter 2, here's another instance, verses 14 to 16. Jesus went into the temple... And he doesn't say he was angry explicitly with those words, but I think it's kind of safe to connect the dots, that he was a little bit angry here. All right? It says in 2.14-16 of John, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there, and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. So the temple had begun from a place of worship to a place of commerce. 
It had gone from a house of prayer to a house of greed. So Jesus was righteously angry. Well, how about us? How about us? Well, again, righteous anger by itself is not a sin. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Notice it doesn't say, Be angry and you sin, right? It says, Be angry and do not sin. So, the, so righteous anger is not in of itself wrong. And I go through this because sometimes I think there's the impression that what do we do with anger? How do we overcome anger? The answer is just to somehow sort of never get angry about anything in our lives. And I'm telling you, friends, that is impossible. And not only is it impossible, but it cuts against the grain about how we're made. We're made in the image of God who has righteous anger. And so therefore, anger is a God-given emotion. I think He gives to human beings. You say, why does He do it? Because when we're angry, it energizes us to want to act, to want to help the weak and the defenseless, to want to right that wrong, to stand up to injustice and evil. And when you look in Scripture, you see cases where God's people do this. You think about Moses. Man, he's coming down the mountain. He just has the Ten Commandments. He goes down the mountain. They've just been delivered from the Egyptians. And he sees them down there worshiping a golden calf. And Moses throws down the tablets because it says he was angry. Elijah confronted King Ahab because he had murdered someone. John the Baptist confronted Herod Antipas. Remember a couple weeks ago, Herod Antipas had this adulterous and incestuous marriage with his niece. John the Baptist confronted him. Psalm 119, verse 53 says, Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. So friends, hear me. I think sometimes the church is just too passive. We should be angry angered when people just mock the claims of Christ or when we look out in the world and we see child abuse and sex trafficking and abortion and terrorism and greed and on and on and on. We should be angry about these things. Pastor John Stott wrote, There is a great need in the contemporary world for more Christian anger. In the face of blatant evil, we should be indignant, not tolerant. Angry, not apathetic. If God hates sin, His people should hate it too. If evil arouses His anger, it should arouse ours too. That was pretty long. (laughs) That was good. All right. Good pause in the action there. So righteous anger, is everybody clear, is not wrong. But there is another type of anger that is wrong. Sinful anger. And when Scripture discusses human anger, usually sinful anger is in view. So for example, the most common Hebrew word in your Old Testament that when it focuses on human anger 47 times, 42 of those times it's discussing sinful human anger. So 42 out of 47 times 
You do the math, that's almost 90% of the time. You say, well, what is the difference between righteous anger and sinful anger? And this is critical. Sinful anger is anger that has gone wrong in some way. And there's a lot of different ways. Let me contrast righteous anger and sinful anger. Righteous anger focuses on actual sin, violations of God's standard. Sinful anger focuses on things that are not biblically sinful, but deal more with inconveniences or preferences or traditions. For example, if you're at a restaurant and the waiter makes a crude and crass comment to you, that would be okay to have a righteous anger of such an offensive comment. But if your waiter accidentally messes up the order and is sorry about it, yet you are angry, I think that is sinful anger. Do you see the difference? He did not do anything sinfully wrong. Righteous anger expresses anger in a controlled manner. Sinful anger expresses anger in an uncontrolled manner. Screaming, yelling, getting violent, and so on. Righteous anger doesn't linger after it is expressed. In other words, you say what needs to be said, you forgive, and then you move on. Unrighteous anger lingers on it. You might outwardly say what needs to be said, but in your mind, you're repeating it. You're going through all the scenarios again. You pout. You avoid that person. That's not righteous anger. Righteous anger addresses the problem. Sinful anger attacks the person. Righteous anger focuses on justice. Sinful anger focuses on revenge. Do you see the difference? So that leads to this question. Why is our anger usually sinful then? Right? In other words, if God gets angry, anger is not wrong, then why is righteous anger so difficult for us? Let me put it simply. We're different than God. We have a sinful nature, and therefore we don't handle anger very well. And it easily leads to sin. You see, friends, God isn't tainted by sin like we are. So God is slow to anger. We are not. God accurately knows each situation, so He doesn't get angry falsely. We often get angry because of false or incomplete information. That ever happened to you? You get angry, then you find out later some piece of the story you didn't know, and you think, oh man. What a fool. God's anger is always the right response. Right? It's perfectly measured out. We are not. Our responses are not. We go overboard. God's motives are always the right motives. Our motives are not. So that when we become angry, even, get this, so even if there's this initially righteous anger that we have, the anger usually transforms into something sinful, right? James 1.20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so our anger becomes sinful in different ways. Right? We might outwardly uh, become angry for the right reason. But we get, wrong, we get angry at the wrong person, maybe. Once we find out the facts. 
Or we might express our anger in a controlled manner, but it just snowballs. We set it, but then it just keeps replaying in our mind, or it starts snowballing to other offenses. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like it starts good, but then, boom, it just eventually ends up usually into sin. All kind of different ways. It's been said, a person who is angry on the right grounds against the right persons in the right manner at the right moment for the right length of time deserves great praise. There's a story about a truck driver who pulled into a truck stop one night. After he was there, he got a meal. And then three tough motorcyclists came in, Hell's Angels type guys. They gave the truck driver a hard time saying mean things about him, taking his food. Instead of saying something back, the truck driver calmly stood up, took his bill, went to the cashier, laid down his money, walked out. And as he departed, the waitress followed him, went to the cashier, put the money in the cashier, the register, I mean, and looked out the door and watched him drive away. When she returned, one of the bikers said to her, Well, he's not much of a man, is he? And she replied, said, I don't know about that, but he sure ain't much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out the parking lot. (laughs) So the truck driver, he got it right to walk away from the situation. But he wasn't right and driving over their motorcycles. Righteous anger is very difficult. Now when we see God's view of anger and seeing how difficult it is for us, it's going to make it all the more urgent for us to deal decisively with it. Both the Old Testament and New Testament teach about God's view of our sinful anger. And here, he doesn't like it. Sinful anger, not righteous anger. And here are three reasons, and we'll close with this. First, anger is foolish. Anger is foolish. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for angry anger lodges in the heart of fools. Proverbs 14.17 says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Now, when Scripture speaks of a fool... The focus isn't really intellectual, but it's primarily moral. In other words, the fool knows about these things, but they reject them. So it's their moral deficiency that leads to their irrational thinking. Is that clear? And get this, friends. So sinful anger is always a choice. You choose to be angry. No matter the circumstances, no one can make you angry. Nobody can say, that's just in my genes. Or my nationality is just known for that. In case someone's trying to go there, find an excuse. Uh Uh-uh. Nor can you say, my anger is just how I learn to deal with things, because that's how my parents dealt with things. Do nature and nurture affect us? Absolutely. But they never cause anyone to become sinfully angry. 
They might predispose you toward anger, but they don't predetermine you toward anger. So why is, anger fool, why is anger foolishness? Well, for one thing, and this is common sense, but just to be thorough, anger destroys relationships, doesn't it? Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up wrath, excuse me, strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Friends, people don't enjoy being around angry people, do they? So you're going to have a hard time just having relationships, and the relationships you do have between your friends and spouses and parents and children, they're going to experience the fallout of your anger. Think about it. Think about it, maybe even in your own life right now, the ongoing friction that you have with other people and how it's always so troublesome and difficult or these explosive fallouts that we have that sometimes cause irrevocable damage to relationships because of anger. A lady once came to the evangelist Billy Sunday and tried to rationalize her angry outburst. She said, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper. I blow up and then it's all over. Sunday replied, so does a shotgun. And look at the damage it leaves behind. Anger leads to other sins. How many times does anger lead you to then lie about it, or it leads to physical violence and assault, or it leads to you're angry with your spouse, and so then you go look at pornography or have an affair, or you get angry and you do this or that? Anger opens the barn door for other sins. I was thinking about this past week when I was 14 or 15, how my dad brought home a computer. It was come, This is a long time ago, almost 30 years ago, kind of like a prime evil laptop back in the day. And he was kind of proud about it. He brought it and he brought it home from work. And I was playing a game on it and got so mad at the game that I broke it. Broke the screen, did something to it. I wasn't a Christian at the time. You know what I did? I lied about it. It wasn't very believable. And it kills me to think about him having to go back into work and try to explain this mess. By the way, I had, to, I had forgotten about that incident for years and years, and the Lord put it on my heart, and I just told him about it and, and confessed it to him. But you see how anger leads to other sins, doesn't it? Anger destroys your hell. Do you know that? Anger causes your body to release stress hormones, speed up your heart rate and your breathing, causes wear and tear on your artery walls. You know that? One study found that healthy people who are often angry or hostile are 19% more likely than calmer people to get heart disease. Anger affects more than the heart. Anger expert psychologist Howard Casanova says that persisting anger, quote, will lead to increased risk of hypertension and stroke, heart disease, gastric ulcers, and bowel diseases, as well as slower wound healing and a possible increased risk of some types of cancers. Anger is just foolish. You're destroying yourself. We're destroying ourselves. Frederick Buckner has a great quote. He says, Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last, to the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that who you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. 
Anger is foolish, isn't it? So God's view of anger, first, it is foolish. Second, it is murder. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus revolutionizes our understanding of anger. Turn with me real quick here to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 22. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, quoting the, one of the Ten Commandments, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus comes along, friends, and says, the Ten Commandments were given. I'm trying to go deeper with them for you. Outward conformity is not enough. It's the heart that matters. So if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. Now Jesus is not saying it's identical. Obviously there is a distinction between physically doing the act and hating someone in your heart. But there is a similarity that when you hate your brother, you have that same emotion that you would if you actually carried it out. And probably a lot of times, what stops people from acting on that hatred is not a a fear of God or a self-control, but it's just a fear of getting caught, right? In other words, if you could get away with it, you might just go do it. So in actuality, what God sees as windows into our spirit, what He sees there, there's not much difference going on. So friends, this is God's assessment of our anger. I'm not trying to crush us here, but just trying to be faithful to the Scriptures. We're murderers. We shouldn't downplay this in the least bit. We may not like it, but it's how God sees our anger. This is straight out of the lips of Jesus. And it's not just Jesus, the apostles echoed this. 1 John 3.15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. James 4.1 and 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. More than likely, James isn't talking about a church where they were physically killing each other, but they were guilty of sinful anger. Does this affect how you see anger? I really hope it will. To see how God sees it. And then lastly, so anger is foolish, anger is murder, and then thirdly, anger is worthy of eternal, eternal judgment. You see there in Matthew 5, Jesus refers to the fires of hell. I want to be clear, Jesus isn't saying, oh, you get angry, you're going to hell. He's not saying that. We know the unpardonable sin is rejection of Christ. All sin can be forgiven. But I think what he's getting at here is that if anger is just sort of this fixed pattern in your life, you are in danger of hell. Because it is a sin that brings judgment. Galatians 5, similarly, Paul says, he mentions the works of the flesh. The flesh isn't our outward meat and bones here. He's talking about the flesh, the the sinful nature of humanity. Listen to how many words when he says, these are the words of the flesh. Listen to how many times he, he gives a big list here. How many refer to anger? He says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Then here, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, 
divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So by my count, he said, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, and envy. That's all related to anger. 1 John 3.15 says, again, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Friends, do you get the logic? Anger is murder, and if a pattern of anger in your life just is constantly there, you may not have eternal life. I hope I have your attention. Friends, anger is a universal and serious problem. It's destructive, even leading to eternal destruction. But I want to close with this. Here is where there is hope. If you're sitting here today, and this message is hitting you hard, I also want you to know that there is hope. No one sitting here today is trapped in anger. You're not trapped because you have a quick temper. You're not trapped because you were brought up in that sort of angry environment, and that is how you have learned to deal with things. There is hope because Jesus is greater. Amen? Because of Him, the Bible says, you can put away your anger, your sinful anger. Colossians 6.8 commands us, Now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Friends, if God commands you to do something, you know what that means? That means that you can do it by the grace of God. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So hopefully you're motivated, both by the seriousnesses of anger that we talked about here at the end of the message, and by the hope that Jesus offers. Amen? Next week, that's what we'll do. We're going to walk through the Scriptures and see the wonderful promises and the hope God's Word gives us about how we can put away anger. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank You for the clear light that You shed on a topic that is a struggle for every single person. That, Lord, you don't just leave us wandering around, groping for answers and hope, but your word speaks to these things. And, Lord, I think the first thing is that you must get our attention to how serious anger is and how destructive it is. Lord, help us, forgive us for taking lightly what you take seriously. And Lord, I pray that all of us would seek to take seriously your word and believe and trust in the promises of God that we indeed can put away anger. Lord, we believe in your word and you can transform us. And we look forward to what you will be doing in the days ahead. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.